0: Shalom and welcome to A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so that they would run to Him, that they might be warned. We're here sounding the alarm that our time is short and that there is not much time left to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the Word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by and how to engage in the war that we're standing in the middle of. Today we're talking with our friend Pastor Gary Durham again. Pastor, welcome to the show. Great to be back, J.D. So today we're going to talk about things that could be and might be and are in dispute within the church and within our faith. And you've laid out some some groundwork here for us to talk about, and we're mostly going to be spending our time, I think, in Romans 14 and 15 and in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10.
1: Yeah, I thought it would be important for us to look at the principles the Scriptures give us about dealing with disputable issues. we got lots of disputable issues today, uh, and churches Mm -hmm. uh, seem to be able to divide themselves over a lot of different things, and Christians divide themselves over a lot of different issues. But if we look at the principles uh, of Scripture, uh, it gives us some very clear guidelines about what we should— uh, stand for and what we should give each other freedom in regard to. Yeah, that's,
0: it's pretty clear that if you look at these uh, passages that there are things that God has laid out for us that are, if you will, called rules that we should follow as as mm-hmm. believers. But then there's a lot of autonomy and freedom that we also have to make discernments for ourselves. Right. And, and one of the things that I think that we want people to keep in mind as we walk through this is our first duty as Christians is to love each other.
1: Yes, always, always. And
0: so whatever discussions we have or whatever, whenever we come across the contentious subject, we first need to approach all of our discussions out of love.
1: Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that makes this a huge challenge in our culture today, J.D., is just the fact that We have several generations now that have been culturally conditioned that we don't handle conflict or disagreement well. It's taken as a personal attack. So, for example, uh, many of the the younger generations have been raised to where even a university is not a place where you can have a difference of agreement and just have discussion because if somebody disagrees with you, they're attacking you personally. They're making you uncomfortable. And uh, that's unfortunate because that means knowledge cannot increase. You basically stagnate. And we need to bring back the university, which means unity in diversity, so that we can actually have discussions. But some people, unfortunately, are very, very uh, touchy about any disagreement whatsoever. And I think it is important that we try to build a culture within the Christian community where we can discuss things and be— uh, sometimes in disagreement and still realize that we can love each other and still be passionate about what we think is right. But we should not be passionate to the point of abusing each other.
0: Right. And so you, you've you laid out a, a little bit of an outline here for us. And you talk about seven principles.
1: Yeah, the the principles are very clear when you uh, look at them. They're really all in Romans 14 and 15. Uh where Paul talks about disputable issues, indisputable matters, if you want to call it, and then he also covers some of the same territory with the Corinthian church in First Corinthians eight, nine, and ten, mm-hmm. where he talks about not judging each other in regard to eating meat or not eating meat or eating only vegetables or not eating only vegetables, and and uh, and so on and so forth. He he does touch on some of these things regard like with the Corinthian, I mean the the Christians at Corinth, when he says, you know, don't judge each other by, you know, a Sabbath day or a new moon celebration or, you know, these things, kinds of things. Um, but, but we have most of this is right in Romans 14 and early part of 15. And you can see how it begins by just simply reading the first couple of verses, because Paul starts off like this, "...accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters." Okay, that's the first statement. Now, uh, there's a couple of things that come to the fore here. Uh, It says that we're to accept those whose faith is weak. Now, there are very few people reading that verse of Scripture want to say, well, that's me. My faith is weak. You know, because we all assume we're the strong one if we have an opinion or we have a position that we've taken. But Paul is going to define very clearly who the weaker brother or sister or who the stronger brother or sister actually is. In the study. Now, we won't be able to get to all that, but uh, in this podcast, because I think the last time I, I taught this at a conference, it's like uh, seven uh, different sessions to get through this. And, uh, but Paul does give us some clear indications, and he says this He says, one person or one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, here, Paul designates the one with the prohibitions as the one with the faith who's weak. Now, that's really shocking to some people. Hmm. I grew up with people that thought because they had a a ton of prohibitions in their life that they were the strong Christians. They were the spiritual Christians. They were the ones who had their act together. Uh, They were the ones who were really living You know, true Christianity. And I'm not saying, you know, they were sincere people. I mean, they got very godly people. But they would have thought that the more prohibitions actually, in some sense, gave you a badge of spirituality. Here, Paul says, The one with the prohibitions that says, I can't eat that meat because it's been sacrificed to an idol. And he deals with this in Corinthians later saying, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's not an issue for you. He says, you go to the meat market. And and in the pagan meat markets, most of the meat had been sacrificed to an idol. And the the better cuts of meat, because they would sacrifice the better animals— and, and then they'd be sold in the meat market. And often people would say, well, this was sacrificed to Aphrodite or this was mm. sacrificed to Diana, whatever. But uh, Paul said, you know, when you go into the meat market to buy meat, don't ask any questions. Just buy meat that looks good and eat it, you know. And if you're invited to somebody's house and and they give you meat to eat, don't ask any questions. It may have been sacrificed, to an idol, but just don't ask any questions. He says, now, if they say to you, Oh, uh, I just want you to know this was sacrificed to Aphrodite, and we're honoring her by eating it. He says, don't eat it. Right. He says, not because of your conscience, because you know that an idol is nothing in all the world. But he says, for their conscience and for the conscience of others. And then he talks about not eating and lim- limiting, your, you know, limiting your liberty if a weaker brother or sister might be harmed by you. Exercising your liberty in front of them. He doesn't say you can never exercise your liberty. He just says, don't do it in front of them because you can cause them to sin and you might cause them to actually start imitating you when they don't have faith. Anything that's not done in faith is sin. So I kind of ran ahead there on you no, a little no, bit, JD, no. but... that's good
0: because I was running with you. <laughs> because we see that today, right? We see there, I know Christians that are adamant that you can't eat anything marked halal. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, why? Yeah. Well, because they're, you know, they're butchering this animal in in, in honor of Allah and, and they're following yeah. through the ritual. I said, but is that what you believe?
1: Well, and if you know your history on meat, it is nothing that they, they stole the kosher laws from the Jews mm-hmm. and, and incorporated because Muhammad uh, was trying to construct a monolithic religion because he felt it would give him political power. And so he looked at Christianity and Judaism and said, those are the two great monolithic religions. I'm going to construct one. So he did away with the 15-some thousand gods that they had mm-hmm. and chose one, Allah, the moon god, and said, this is going to be our god. And then he started giving him attributes that he basically borrowed from Christianity, from uh, Judaism, and from mythology. And he kind of bind that bound that all together to create uh, the Muslim and Islamic religion. And of course, halal was nothing but the borrowing of the kosher laws, uh, to a large degree, uh, and so they're they're very similar as far as to the, you know, how an animal is to be killed and how it's to be processed and all of those kinds mm-hmm. And what kinds of animals can be eaten and what kinds of animals cannot be eaten, and so on.
0: But there is confusion in the, in the Christian community about that, yes. and, and on online, I see quite a few arguments about that, And yeah. And I try to. I try to help people by redirecting them, going. You do remember that it's about our heart, yeah. <laughs> Where's your heart? Are you in? Are you in concert with these people and what they believe when they're doing this? Right. If the answer is no, then eat it.
1: Yeah, and and this is the point that the New Testament makes. Now, you know, let me use a personal illustration here, which you, JD, and Grant, who's in here with us, knows all about, and that is that uh, I personally have an allergy, for example, to pork and uh, and to some mostly to, to some scavengers meats such as you know, like shellfish and things like that so i don't eat them for that reason well it makes me look really kosher okay <laughs> and uh and i have people all the time oh well, are, you know do you observe kosher law and i go no not necessarily you know well just part of your faith no no it's not uh and <laughs> so you know but, but i actually have allergies to these things and they make me ill so i don't eat them you mm-hmm. know uh and yet, uh, I've actually had people come up and they're and saying, "Oh, well, can you be a, uh, a Christian and and eat pork?" And I said, "Yeah, you can. Oh, well, you don't eat pork. Well, that's for medical reasons, you know." Right. And I had one guy said, "Well, can you be a Christian and uh, can you go to heaven if you eat pork?" And I said, "Yes. And the more of it you eat, the probably the sooner you'll go." <laughs> I just pointed out, I said, medically, there are some reasons why you shouldn't eat a lot of scavengers' meat. There's med- it's good, but there is no, it's not part of our faith, and there's no medical prohibition. And the Bible gives us liberty in that uh, area, especially in the New Testament. It says those old dietary laws were something you made a vow to in the Sinai covenant, just in the same way as you made a vow to observe Saturday as the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath principle is rooted in creation. And this is where people don't always do all their biblical homework. So for, so, so, for example, we have a principle in creation that we are to give one day out of seven to God. And the fact is, you know, you could even build a case with, you know, the sun standing still for Joshua and the dial going back for Hezekiah and so on. And we're not really sure which day is actually the seventh, you know, but you know. But the point is, is all that's either here or there. Give God one day out of seven. That's the pattern: six, one, six, mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. six, one. And but when God called the Israelites out of Egypt, He brought them to Sinai and said, "Now." this is going to be, now we know Sabbath had been part of man's life from the garden on. uh, But he said, this is going to be the sign of the covenant we made here at Sinai between you and me. You're going to keep a seventh, a Sabbath Mm -hmm. unto the Lord, and you're going to vow to keep it. And if you don't keep it, you can literally be put to death for violating it. So, because you vowed to do it and, uh, So it was a sign of the Sinai covenant, and he says what's going to happen is you're going to refuse to work on that seventh day. The pagans are going to see it. They're going to wonder why you're more blessed working only six days than they are working seven, and you're going to tell them it's because we're honoring our God. And and when you do that, it's going to make you a light to the nations. Well— uh, he not only gave them seven you know sabbaths in regard to the days of the week he gave them sabbaths in regard to the years and sabbaths in regard to the way they dealt with the land and and they didn't keep hardly any of them except for the later they got pretty particular about the you know the the saturday sabbath and tried to persecute Jesus over that one but the point is is that it was an old covenant principle this is why paul could say later to the Christians, don't judge each other by Sabbath. One day, in fact, right in this very passage, you say one man will consider one day more sacred than another. One man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying is convince yourself. Make sure you're being thoughtful, you're being prayerful about this. And if, you know, when he says every day, one man says every day is alike, he's not saying that you're not worshiping. He's saying one man say, I worship every day. You know, every day is like a Sabbath to me. Uh, But of course, we know that people argue on, you know, whether should you worship on Saturday or should you worship on Sunday or, you know, and, and my point is, I don't care. Just be sure you worship and give God a day. Uh, We Christians believe there's a very strong biblical historical evidence for Sunday because we are not old creation people and not old Sinai covenant people. We are new covenant, new creation people, and Jesus walked out of the tomb on Sunday starting the new creation, and every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. And so we are new creation people. Therefore, the Christians worshiped on that day. It is true. That some of the uh, first century and maybe even second century Jewish Christians, who had made who had been Jews first and then became Christians, who had made a covenant to keep the Sabbath, would continue to keep the Sabbath and also worship on on Sunday. Uh, as as a result of that, because they felt, well, I made a vow, I'm going to keep it, you know. And so, but they didn't, uh, if they were wise and not kind of pharisaical uh, Christians, they didn't try to push that off on everybody else. Now, of course, we know the pharisaical Christians, which Paul fought with, kept trying to get everybody to obey all of the Sinai covenant. And Paul, of course, made very clear that that was unacceptable.
0: Very good. Yeah, so going back to what you were talking about earlier, with the uh, accepting the ones whose faith is weak. Mm -hmm. If we go on to 15, it talks about we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Please
1: ourselves, yeah. I
0: think, you know, to me, that is saying, look, don't put your own personal desires and your rights, again, that you spoke of before, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ahead of somebody who might stumble. Again, I think this talks to the heart again. Your heart is always about making sure that we're not doing something that causes somebody to be separated for God for any reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the, uh, you know, in, in the principles, when I, when I lay these out, like, you know, the seven principles, the fourth one basically says, let your liberty be limited when necessary by love. That's the fourth principle. Uh, and I kind of quote, and I usually start that session by quoting Martin Luther, who said something very profound. That He said on, he was, he wrote a, uh, uh, uh treaties on uh, the freedom on the freedom of a Christian man. And he said two striking things that a Christian man is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. a Christian man is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. two seemingly contradictory statements, but not no. because in their pro- each put in their proper context, they are valid because uh, we we are not to use, and Paul warns the stronger brother, that he is responsible for his influence on the weaker brother. Now, he also warns and assumes throughout that there are not to be any professional weaker brothers who go around going, oh, but that offends me, so you can't do that. <laughs> you know, uh, basically, Paul Paul expected weaker people to grow and get stronger in their faith. So he just says to the stronger, if it offends them, don't do it in front of them. You know, but uh, he didn't give weaker people the right to blackmail everybody to their position. Uh, that just simply is unacceptable.
2: Well,
0: that seems to be a cultural norm today. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, maybe it's just a symptom
1: of people not growing. <laughs> well, that that's another way of putting it too,
0: yes. So I find this, uh, I, I find number four in your Martin Luther quote interesting from a standpoint is if you took that Seemingly contradictory statement, it's a picture of Christ. Yes. The most free man to ever walk the planet, the most powerful free Lord himself, Mm -hmm. but he chose to be a servant.
1: Yes. Servant to everyone. Lay down his life for everyone. Yes. And yet... He made it clear, you know, no one has power over me. I lay it down on my own accord. He even made it clear that when Satan, the prince, was coming, he says, he has no hold on me. He has no power over me. And there isn't any other human that could have said that, you know, <laughs> but, right. uh, but Jesus could. But only a true free person could choose to serve. Yes, exactly. Well, the strong are able to bend and kneel and lift. It is only the weak who are always trying to climb on top of people to make themselves look bigger. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's profound.
0: (laughs) So you go on here and talk about uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and 19
1: and and what Paul said there. Do you have that in front of you?
0: Yeah. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Oh, yes. Uh To win as many as possible.
1: Yes. And Paul there in in that passage is talking about the the limiting of your liberties for the sake of something greater. Mm. So... And he's saying, for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to limit my liberties. In other words, I have become all things to all men that I might by some by all means save some. So he's saying, when I'm with the Jews, if they're offended, you know, if I live like a Gentile, he says, I'll live like a Jew with the Jews. But when I'm with the Gentiles, I live like Gentiles. Now I don't lie to each one. I'm telling the Jews I always live like this. I'm just saying, no, I'm accommodating this so I don't uh, offend you. But – so Paul was was saying, though, I am willing to be all things to all men in the sense of uh, limiting my preferences so that I can reach people, that I can do something greater than – that's more important than me exercising my liberty.
0: Well, and that's our great commission to all of us anyhow, right, is to go Mm -hmm. out and win as many people as we can, which means that we have to be flexible as well. Mm -hmm. And we have to be willing to set aside our own personal desires, our own personal – conviction sometimes in order to do that from a standpoint of creating less dispute or being the peacemaker that Christ calls us to be. Yeah. And,
1: and, and maybe, and I like what you said there, J.D., but let's, let's qualify that a little bit. Let's, uh, some of the listeners, misunderstand what we're saying. Okay. And that is this. Uh, the first and important thing is is to distinguish between matters of command mm-hmm. and matters of liberty. In other words, what has God commanded? You know, there are some things that are "Thus saith the Lord." Now, when you use the word personal conviction, we usually use that term to apply to things that we have reasoned through on based on biblical principles mm-hmm. that we feel like it is a valid conclusion. And I may have said, "Okay, because the Bible says this, this, and this," and I add that all up. I believe I shouldn't do this, or I should do this, okay? So that becomes a personal conviction. But it isn't really a thus saith the Lord, clear thou shalt not, or thou shalt, you know, commandment in the Bible, using the old King James language. Um, So the first order of business for every believer is to distinguish between what is a thus saith the Lord and what is merely an area of liberty where we're to convince ourselves according to the you know, the clearest principles and the clearest conscience that we can bring before the Lord. The problem with that is that Christians don't even agree on what is commanded and what isn't commanded. Uh, again, I mean, the Sabbath day thing would be an example. If uh, there are people who want to worship on the seventh uh, the seventh day, which would be Saturday, you know, I, I used to get tickled because, uh, you know, you'd be, uh, there'd be Christians who say, well, I don't believe in desecrating the Sabbath. And they were talking about Sunday. Right. And I'd say, well, if you don't want to desecrate the Sabbath, you shouldn't be mowing your lawn on Saturday, you know. <laughs> and and, and they would just say, they just, just blink at me because they, they were so used to calling Sunday the Sabbath. Well, it's not the Sabbath. It, we often refer to it as the Christian Sabbath because it is the day we set aside to worship God and to honor hmm. the resurrection of Jesus and the victory of Jesus. But, uh, but again, a personal conviction, and thus saith the Lord— It'd be nice if there was a clear list, you know, right. Okay, you know, but there isn't, and people don't even agree on that. So there are some Christians who will say, well, I think you should worship on the seventh day, Saturday, and that's fine as long as they don't start saying, if you don't do that, you're not a true believer. Because well, that's
0: usually the next step.
1: That's usually the next step, and that's where they cross the line and cease to be biblical and scriptural, because the Bible makes it clear you can't judge each other by Sabbath days. Paul makes that clear. He says, do not do that. And if you do it, then you're literally disobeying a command. And Paul, interestingly enough, in this passage, Romans 14, goes through several things like eating meat, not eating meat, Mm -hmm. observing a special day, which he's talking about Sabbath, of course, Mm -hmm. and not observing a Sabbath. And then he says, so whatever you believe about these things, in verse 22, he says, keep between yourself and the Lord. Most disobeyed verses of Scripture in the Bible, <laughs> because, because people don't keep it between themselves and the Lord because they say, well, I this is what I believe, and then they start condemning. We create a whole dump denominations over things that we're not supposed to be making rules about. They're disputable. So whether or not you worship on Saturday or on Sunday, we create denominations out of that. And the Bible says, don't make any rules about disputable issues. And Sunday is in our Sabbath observance is listed as one of those disputable issues. And then he says, keep it between yourself and the Lord. Well, we don't. We end up condemning each other and judging each other and splitting the churches. and It's pretty sad.
0: So that brings up a very interesting um, question then. When we go out and share the gospel with with Mm -hmm. people that have not known the Word of God or we make a new believer— Mm-hmm. We tend to teach them the things that we are convicted on, personally. Yes. Like the Sabbath day, or should you eat pork, or, you know, a lot of other things. Right. Should we also be giving them the caveat of Romans 14 and 15 that says, now look, you're going to come across other believers, and they are believers, that aren't going to think about these things like this the way that I have shown you. Right. It's okay. Yeah. And don't get in an argument with them over it. Yeah.
1: And I think uh, if we are wise in the church, and this has become more my position as a, you know, now having been a a senior pastor, lead pastor for many, many years, I think I've come to the realization that the church needs to be much more scriptural in its approach and not—and try to teach more foundational principles and teach people how to think within a biblical worldview— and within a scriptural review and let them draw some of those convictions for themselves because i grew up in kind of what what you might say church cultures where you didn't have to think because you were just told it's this, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. this, this, and this. Okay. And so, you know, for example, you know, and I, I don't need to t- tell people where I came from, but the point is, is that, you know, many, many years ago, I grew up among people who, you know, nearly everything was wrong. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you certainly couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't dance, you couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, you, well, obviously you couldn't smoke and you couldn't drink and you couldn't, you couldn't do any of those things. Now, I'm not saying that any, that, that, uh, There's anything wrong with having that prohibition in your life. For some people that may be very valid and it may be beneficial. It gives you a lot of time to do a lot of other better things, you know, but, but the point is to make it something where it becomes a wall of division between you and other believers is unscriptural. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, I've been on all my life, a teetotaler simply because that's how I was raised as a teetotaler. And, uh, I, uh, and to this day, but but about, uh, let me think now, it's been about probably uh, 18 years ago, I started having some artery issues and my doctor strongly suggested that I start drinking red wine. And I said, well, I'm a teetotaler, I don't drink alcohol. And uh, he said, well, is that something that you think is a sin? I said, well, no, it's just something I've never done, you know, mm-hmm. and so... I said I, I've read the Bible. I know that the Bible, you know, recommends moderation, but I can see value in teetotaling because there, there can be people who are harmed by your example if you're not careful. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you have it in a home, you might be able to handle it fine, but then you might have a son or a daughter who can't. And you know, those all those things. There's lots of arguments there. However, I've since seen that families that handle it well probably uh, train their children to handle it well. And uh, most of the really s- sad cases of alcoholism I've dealt with have been from teetotaler homes where when the kids got out, they went crazy and became mm. alcoholics. But uh, that isn't always the case. You can find, you know, all kinds of different versions of that. But But the point is, is that just using that as an illustration is that I... I, I didn't start drinking red wine right away. I I started researching it. Is this really beneficial? Is this something that's really going to help my arteries? I found a lot of nay. I found a lot of yay. I found you know I back and forth, and I did it for two years, <laughs> and finally my conclusion was yes, there is va- validity to this. Okay, I should do it, but then I just kept procrastinating because I you know I, I just it's just something you know I I don't do. I, I mean I, I really don't need it. I didn't want it. And my daughter came home on Christmas and, uh, and uh, she, uh, she said, Dad, have you started drinking red wine like the doctor said? And I said, no. I said, I've been investigating. She said, you've been investigating it for two years now. What's your conclusion? I said, well, I think it's probably beneficial. She said, well, when are you going to start? And I said, I don't know. And she said, I do. She said, you're starting tonight. <laughs> And so my daughter went out, and she comes in with a bottle of red wine. She says, "Tonight you take the plunge, Dad." And so, <laughs> oh my goodness! And I said, "You're right," and and I did, and I've been drinking it ever since. And I, it's never still, still not one of my favorite things, but I drink, you know, my a lot of ounces every night uh, before I go to bed because it's something that's supposed to, and I, and it has helped me, you know, mm-hmm. tremendously. It's helped me with that issue. So,
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) No, it's interesting, though, that how easily we can fall into a dispute over such minor things that have nothing to do with the glory of God, have nothing to do with his commandments to us, but they make us feel religious. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wonder if we really should be starting to warn people that you're going to be confronted with these things. And when you want to figure out how you should answer these questions, go to Romans 14 and 15 uh-huh. and read it really hard. Yeah. And then you figure out what you want to do by sitting down with God and praying with him and, and and coming up with your
1: answer. And and this is so important, J.D., because if you go over into 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, Paul makes a very valid point when he's warning the stronger brother and sister about not in causing the weaker brother or sister to send point he's making. He says everything that isn't done in faith is sin. So he says if a weaker brother or sister sees you eating uh, in a place that clearly the food's all been sacrificed to idols, you know an idol's nothing. You're not worried about it. Uh, So, you know, but they see you, but they may be encouraged to do the same thing, even though they don't have a clear conscience about it. They're just saying, well... If they can do it, I guess I can, you know, but they haven't really thought it through. They don't have a clear conscience, so they have to violate their conscience to do it. Now, here's the principle. If you have to violate your conscience to do it, you have to have an attitude of rebellion. If you have an attitude of rebellion, that's sin, even if what you're doing isn't sinful because your attitude is sinful. And so Paul said, don't cause your weaker brother for whom Christ died to be destroyed by your example. And so he says to the stronger brother or sister, limit your liberties when necessary and so that you don't cause them to stumble. And uh, so he says, you know, I won't drink wine or I won't eat meat or I won't do anything if it's causing my brother or sister to stumble. Uh, but he made it clear with his statement that when I'm with the Jews, I live like a Jew. with the This is not something I do all the time. I do it when necessary. You know, I do it in the context.
0: Right. And the thing that I think we have to remember is when we do, when we do this, if we cause this person to do something against their conscience, against their conviction, we've just opened the door for Satan to come in and condemn them mentally. Yeah. So we've opened condemnation for them. We didn't intend to do that, maybe. Right. But when they go home that night, Satan's going to go. Well, see, you don't stand on any of your principles. You don't believe the word. Yeah. And they start just beating them up really hard, and we open the door for that.
1: Yeah, and 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 just as an extension of that, J.D., you're dead on. Uh, if a person violates their conscience, let's say you know, if later they they grew to knowledge to realize, well, it really wasn't wrong for me to do that. Uh, God doesn't consider it wrong. But I considered it wrong when I did it. And, and God considers that sin because mm-hmm. you violated your conscience. You know. Right. But the point is, is that when a person, a weaker brother or sister, goes against their conscience with an attitude of rebellion, I, I think I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway because they're doing it then what happens is that becomes an attitude that now can begin to leak over into other areas of their life. Mm-hmm. And suddenly all of a sudden they're justifying doing this and doing well, this. Well, they start to
0: question. And, and, all their ideas. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then things that God has clearly given prohibitions about, they may start indulging in. And, and the point is, well, they're used to violating their conscience. It becomes something where the conscience gets seared and becomes insensitive. Now, of course— some of the issues Christians are really struggling with today are maybe a little more contemporary, not the old-fashioned ones we've no. been talking about. You know, like— No, but I think
0: those are good basis for us to move into that eventually. Right. But I want to talk first, before we do that, about uh, point four five, and de- developing the collective conscious. Right. Because I think that this is one of the things that helps all of us if we're in unity over those weaker points. mm huh
1: yeah, the, the, the point here in this de- developing collective conscience over new forms of evil is that the church has an obligation to be a thinking church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you don't love God with your mind, you're not a thorough Christian. <laughs> and we are called to be a thinking people. God gave us brains. He wants us to use them. And the scriptures are aimed at not just our spirits. It is aimed at our spirits. It is aimed at our hearts. But remember, in the Jewish heart was the intellect, mm-hmm. the mind. So the, the Greeks would call it the mind. The Jews called it the heart, but the intellect and the reason are part of that. And uh, they, and so we have an obligation when evil morphs its appearance, it doesn't morph its essence. It only morphs its appearance. So, uh, all while evil you know I think what I put here as a principle is while evil does not change as to its basic nature, that being a parasite of the good and that's always what it is, uh, it does change the forms in which it presents itself by means of man's creativity and of course Satan's creativity as well And we the church must be ever addressing these changing forms. In other words, so we have to be a thinking discerning people. Mm-hmm. We have to look at things and know, the essence of evil and the principles of, of righteousness rather than merely having a little list of, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is right, and this is right. Because that list will not remain current. Uh, right. That Satan will morph it. And so the church has to have some collective conscience. Now, what this means is we have to rebirth what we were talking about before we've lost, and that is the ability to discuss current-day issues that may start becoming forms of evil that maybe they never were before, but now we have to really ask ourselves, is this somehow leading to something it shouldn't be leading to? Is this something that Christians should be concerned about? And we have to be able to have those discussions without everybody getting all offended and everybody getting all hurt Mm -hmm. and everybody thinking that we're—because those discussions are really good. Sometimes— It turns out that we realize, well, there's nothing here to fear. And so we can just go on. But at other times, we may detect there really is something here the church needs to start warning people about. Be careful. Because even though this may not be something that uh, some people are saying it is, it may be uh, a slippery slope that we're starting down that we're not going to be able to stop once we start. And so Christians at least need to be made aware of it. And we need, if we can't have those discussions, the church cannot be current and cannot be relevant. And it, and the gospel never changes, but our application of it must be ever changing according to the situation we're addressing.
0: Absolutely agree. The. And in our modern world, and now we'll start talking about some contemporary things, but <laughs> in our mo- in a modern world, the, the evil has co-opted so many things that we historically have looked upon as very good. Uh-huh. Um, and some of the things that I'm thinking of is there's some major um, charitable organizations that for 50 to 75 years have been considered good organizations. Um, most churches everywhere donated money to these people, and on the outside, they over time, they have done a lot of great things in our society and for people in general. Uh-huh. But in the last uh, twenty or thirty years, they've also supported Planned Parenthood, right? And as as and I'm Planned Parenthood is probably one of my hot buttons. <laughs> to be honest, um, yeah. I I uh, abhor anything to do with them. Uh-huh. So when I find that a, an organization supports them or gives them funds and, in some way or another, then and I try to tell people, look, I said, I know this has a history of being a good organization, but are you aware that they now support Planned Parenthood? Uh-huh. I, I I feel it just as – I feel like it's – I have to tell people that uh-huh. because – I don't think we should be supporting them in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that people do things out of rote or I've always, you know, for 20 years, I've given money to this group and it's like, okay, they've changed. And I just need you need to know that. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a lot of other things in our world, like with our media and Satan's just taken over everything that has to do with communication, emotion. Education education, -hmm. and and politics, Uh you know, there used to be a day where Democrats and Republicans could actually have a conversation Uh without it becoming heated.
1: And I don't even know that that's possible today at all. Well, depend. Uh, I, sometimes I can't find any difference between them, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but but the the point is, is that there and there was a day when even devout Christians and what I would say uh, ethical unbelievers could have very you know, uh, productive discussions and Mm -hmm. uh, they could do it in a civil way. They could do it in a way that uh, was not shouting each other down and screaming at each other. Those days are long gone, long gone. Uh, And so we have a situation where uh, everything is being taken over. Now, your, your illustration about Planned Parenthood, I mean, this is something that is based on, you know, in regard to Planned Parenthood and what they advocate and what their primary industry is Mm -hmm. is the murder of innocent children and i always call it just what it is it's i totally
0: agree and
1: and and i and i have great compassion for some who have been hoodwinked by that and many of the mothers who have experienced that and then of course many of them suffer from the guilt of that but i'm glad god heals and god forgives Mm. and there is a path back and so we should always give hope and we should always uh, be willing to offer grace in that situation however the organization itself has proven itself to be evil, deceptive, and on every level, and yes. and there isn't there's really no debate about that. No, and I if, actually if view the do... women
0: as victims. Yeah.
1: Yes. And and the idea that you you know, and of course, what they've done is they promoted uh, with what I call a red herring. They, they they have you know done a misdirection. It's about women's rights. Well, mm. what about the child's rights? Right. You know. Well, no, they've turned that into a lump of flesh. It's a fetus. You right. know, it's not a child. Well, God calls it a child. And in fact, in the Israeli law, which would be an example for us, when God was given Israel its judicial system and its political system in, in the wilderness, he basically said in the Sinai uh, judicial law that if a man and you know, uh, strikes a woman— in such a way that she loses a child she's pregnant and she loses mm-hmm. that child the child dies the man is to be put to death for he's taken a life it's life for life so what's that what's that god saying he's saying i consider that child a person right okay so and it is interesting that we've gotten so convoluted and ridiculous that you know if the child dies with you know he's only half out of the vaginal you know out of out of the the womb then we can kill it but if uh you know if he's all the way out well now there might be some questions of whether it's a person or not this is ridiculous there is no scientific basis whatsoever for such distinctions well
0: and and i go so far as to say that the only people that use that term that way whether it's a question of whether it's a baby or not is pro-choice people Mm -hmm. because never have I saw a parent, a woman, or a father that wanted a child when they took an EPT and it turned out that they were going to have a baby. The first thing they say, hey, we're having a baby. Yeah. They didn't say, hey, look, I got a fetus. (laughs) Nobody says that. Yeah. Only those that don't want the child or want the choice to kill it will say, well, it's not really a baby yet. Yeah,
1: yeah. So when does it become a baby in your mind? Yeah. When you want it? Right, and see, this is this is an example of something that has become controversial, but it shouldn't be because the Bible is, is it's clear, it's crystal clear, and so. But we are going to have to. You know, we often have to have debates with people who call themselves believers who think it's o- that abortion is okay. But what they have done is they've allowed the culture to evangelize them instead of allowing mm-hmm. the scriptures to evangelize right. them. And so they're living in a in our cultural worldview rather than the biblical worldview. Right. And so, and then that leads to well, you know, that there's one step removed. Now, do you support organizations that help fund an organization that is murdering? Innocent children, right. and and that you know, in my opinion, no, we shouldn't, you know. Uh, but other believers may see it differently. I don't know, so I I don't have a thus saith the Lord there. I do know that uh, that uh, murdering children is wrong, and I think supporting those who do so is wrong. It may be that some people don't know those organizations are supporting in that way, and so you're right. You want to inform them. Hey, do you know that you're giving money, and that money could go right. to help to abort a child, uh, and that might upset some people, you know, once they knew it, but it's still important for us to uh, allow each person, you know, as Paul puts it here, each person stands or falls before their own master. Who are you to judge another person's servant? They all stand before, fall before yeah, their own master. Agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And
0: I don't think that her, somebody... Being upset that they learn new knowledge isn't necessarily the same as you know doing something in front of them that's going to cause them to stumble. I think giving somebody good new knowledge is always a good thing. Of course, yeah. Um, And if and if along that way you're a little upset that you have learned this thing because now I have to decide if I'm going to continue to support these people or not. And and but that's okay. That's called growth, Mm -hmm. right? And, and it's not just with the abortion issue. I also am I'm very...
2: I, I have something to say on that before you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, would that issue be a disputable matter? Because it's clearly murder. I mean, the Bible says, you know, an unborn child based on mm-hmm. the judicial law of, of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant... That it is murder. Mm -hmm. Um, So would that be a disputable issue? Whether you're, I mean, you may not be aware of of an organization that was supporting Planned Parenthood or not. Um, But what most people would be aware of is what candidate they just checked the box on during the election Mm -hmm. and what they represent. Yeah, that's true. And what policies they're going to push for as uh, as government authority. Um and and I think to, you know that's ne- that's a m- more clearly defined and you have no excuse if you don't know um type type issue.
1: Well, and, and there again we have to we can only go so far with this, and that is because in elections we wish that we were always voting between Mother Teresa and the <laughs> devil, but we're not. No, no, no <laughs> I I, I, right. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, but if
0: you clearly have a pro-choice candidate and a pro-life right. candidate. Right, as a believer, in my opinion, again, yeah. then I'm not ever going to choose a pro-choice candidate.
1: Right, and and uh, that's because we see how serious that issue actually is. It actually brings the judgment of God when you when you murdered the innocent, and uh, and it is one of the highest forms of injustice. And, uh, and people are always screaming about injustice in society. This is the highest form of injustice. We're starting to make Hitler look like a novice, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the way we're exterminating the innocent. And uh, so there, it will bring judgment. God cannot turn his back on innocent blood. He's made that clear in Scripture. So, yes, all these things fall out of that. And some Christians are pretty slow. Like, you know, Grant was saying, you know, in regard to politics, they don't. Stop and think, how should I be considering the moral issues? Now, politics isn't always about moral issues, but sometimes it is, you Mm -hmm. know. And uh, for example, as a pastor, I have to face the fact that I remember many years ago in one of my first churches, uh, it was when Reagan was running for office. and, uh, And that put in, it's the first time he got in. And in that particular election... The two-party platforms just went opposite directions completely for the f- first time. I mean, it was so crystal clear. So all I did to my pe- for my people was I didn't tell them how to vote. I got up and I said, look, I have printed up on one sheet of paper. One side is the Democratic platform. It's just exactly what they say. It's just in their platform, how it was written out. And it was their little brief sheet of their platform. And I took the, at that time, it was the Republican Party and put it on one side. And it was very clear that there were moral issues here, you know, one was pro-abortion, one was against abortion, one was uh, pro-gay rights, one was, uh, you know, against homosexual uh, activity, uh, and and so on. And you could go all the way down the list, and there were four or five things that were clearly moral issues. And I remember I simply—the church I happened to be pastoring at the time was in a part of the South where you had a lot of what I call the old (laughs) the old Democrats who they voted party line, even though they were Christians, it was like, you know, that's what you do. And they were planning on voting the, you know, against Reagan, because that's what they just vote Democrat. And I know I had one strong leader in the church who came up to me. He was one of these died in the hard family that had been Democrats for, you know, I don't know how many generations. And he said, How dare you speak about political issues in church? And I said, I didn't speak about a political issue. I said, all I did was point out moral issues. And I said, that's my job. I said, because they politicize something doesn't mean I have to be quiet about it. And uh, it made him think for the first time, he'd never thought about that. He thought just because, you know, it's almost like if it came out of a politician's mouth, then we couldn't address it anymore. No, 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 no. They, oh. they they politicize all the moral issues, and we we better address it, because because they're not going to address it in the right way usually.
0: And that's a completely different topic, but I think that's why America's in the trouble it is is because Christians have taken that view. Yeah, that we we shouldn't be involved.
1: Well, our founding fathers certainly didn't have that view. You know, the black coat regiment, as they called the pastors in those <laughs> days, because they wore those black robes, uh, the black robe regiment. Uh, literally was responsible for the American Revolution because they thundered. As as uh, Benjamin Franklin said, our pulpits have thundered, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they had because they had said to people, it is time to take action and it is time to stand on biblical principle. And we have biblical principle. And so the, and a lot of people don't realize how, how, uh, how thorough the founding fathers were in laying out the biblical principles. It's even in the Declaration of Independence. Here are these indisputable, inalienable rights. This is what the king has done Do that. Therefore, he has forfeited his authority. Therefore, by right and duty, we should be independent states because of what he's done. And, and they just laid it out. They were not just saying we're going to rebel. They weren't. They were saying he's the one rebelling against true authority And under and since we're all under God— and he's not uh, operating according to God's law. Therefore, he's forfeited the right to rule us.
2: And the this, this separation of church and state, it was all about keeping the government out of the church, it had nothing to do with keeping the church <laughs> out of the government. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, but
1: well, that's another issue
0: altogether. <laughs> I, I, since you brought it up, I find it interesting, and, and I don't know if I have evidence of this, but I, I believe America is probably one of the first places where when... They were given a corrupt king that they did the right thing and said, well, you're not going to be our king anymore
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: because you strayed from God.
1: Well, a lot of people don't know that America is the place where um, a lot of very important first took place. For example, here's one we—and and we'll get into this in maybe just a moment. I don't know. For example, we hear a lot about uh, you know we have a lot of uh, racial issues going on in the culture, and it's also sometimes comes into the church. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't because in the church we don't believe in but one race, the human race. Right. We're all the same, uh, and so the, you know it makes no d- difference about that because we're all sons and daughters of Adam. But the uh, but the the point is is that many people condemn America. You know, in fact, now you've got this whole. Idea that America was founded as a racist nation and blah, 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 which is totally false. In fact, they don't want you to know that the first uh, actual state in the history of the world, in other words, a, a, a state government, uh, a, an, an, an independent state entity that ever abolished slavery, was not England. It was us. It was the state of Vermont before the war of independence mm-hmm. they literally as when they signed the declaration of independence the states all ran home to make civil governments because they suddenly realized we have no civil government because it was British and now we have no governments and we don't want anarchy. So all 13 states ran home and wrote out constitutions, Mm -hmm. which would really disturb most people if they read them today because you had to be, you know, uh, a member in good standing with the pastor's endorsement to be able to run for public office and to vote and all those kinds of things, you know. And that's still, in fact, in in a couple of the constitutions, still there. They just don't enforce it. But the state of Vermont literally abolished slavery in 1776, and so before the war ever began, they were saying so. And no nation, state, independent state in the history of the world had ever done that. Mm-hmm. We were the first to do it. Now. The colonies stumbled because there were two southern states that refused to sign on to the—in cons- the Continental Congress, in the Constitutional Con- Congress, saying, we we, we won't sign—we won't be in if you don't—if you outlaw slavery, because they were trying to outlaw slavery. The first drafts outlawed it. Mm-hmm. And, and when—I uh, think it was uh, Virginia and maybe Georgia, I'm not sh- exactly sure— Maybe one of the Carolinas, but there were two states that said, We won't come in to the Union. They should have held their ground because if they had, the power of the other 11 states together would have, and, and the economic power would have been so great, the others would have been banging on the door, begging to get in, and it would have solved the problem. But instead, they compromised and said, We'll deal with it later, and they pushed it down the road. Well, yeah, we, we years. <laughs> we, dealt, we dealt with it 100 years later, and it was the bloodiest war in the history of America. Uh, we where when Americans fought Americans, it was horrifying. And we've never had a bloody war since. No. Yeah. No. In And, and uh,
0: as interesting as that is, I think that's a whole nother show. I'd love <laughs> yeah. to do a show on on just American birthright and who we are, where we come uh-huh. from and all that. So I'll invite you back. <laughs> but the, I wanted to point out that we talked about abortion as, as a pretty hot topic for me. And one of those things that I think we have to bridge the dispute barrier and, and talk to people about a little bit in a loving manner. Mm-hmm. But another one that I've done recently, and, and we're trying to stay in this contemporary, but where people can see things in, in the real time with us, is on Netflix. I, I used to have a Netflix account, and then they brought in a some shows that were targeted at sexualizing children. Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely against that as well. And child pornography. I mean, some of these were borderline pornography. And immediately I closed my account and I'm, I told everyone, I, know, I mean, literally everybody I knew, look, you, there, I don't know how you could possibly support this after this. Uh-huh. Now, where Paul talks about not hurting the weak, I didn't go back and say, well, are you still have Netflix? I can't believe you do that. That would be wrong. Yes, but I think the initial look. In case you didn't know, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think that causes a believer to stumble.
1: No, we. we it's okay to inform. It's not okay to demand conformity. Uh, there's a big difference between those two, the, and it becomes Pharisaical when we demand for people to conform to us. But and even our our reasoning, which may be valid and righteous and and rational. Other people may not follow it, and we have to give them the liberty to either grow into that knowledge or uh, just to differ, at least for the time being. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's, that, that's important, and you made the right decision. When you know that something like that is happening, it, it's good to tell people because then as Christians we can— stand against that and hopefully have some kind of influence to move some of these corporations back toward where they ought to be by mm-hmm. that by that influence. It, it isn't always effective, but sometimes it can be very right. effective. Yeah,
0: Right. And I still have friends that I know still have Netflix accounts, but guess what? They're still my friends. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't drop them as a friend. I didn't no. harass them. I didn't try to pressure them to my side. I gave them information and they acted upon it. Yeah. They're they're mature adult Christian men and women and I respect their choices.
1: And that's exactly what Paul says to do, you know, that we are to accept one another and uh, instead of judge one another. And so that's important, especially on these disputable issues.
0: So that brings us to the minefield of today. (laughs) So we have a minefield, honestly. Right. In the churches and in society— That is over this pandemic that we've Uh all been living through for now seems like 6,000 years, but it's really only been about 18, 19 months. But we have enormous disputes over whether you should be wearing a mask or if you should get a vaccination or if you should sit 6 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet apart. If you should only have 20 people in a room or if you can have a church full of people. Uh Uh-huh or a concert hall, or whatever else they want to have, right? Should we go into bars? Should we go into restaurants? Should we go into grocery stores? I mean, there's a lot of dispute surrounding this one topic. uh uh-huh. And it seems like people are so rooted in their belief uh-huh. that they quickly overlook the fact that other people can get different information that
1: they get. uh uh-huh. And make a different choice. Well, there—that is the problem. We have a bifurcation in the information, uh, and of course, the dominant media. Uh, there is a narrative that they try to enforce, uh, and some people agree with it, and even some Christians agree with it and follow it, uh, and think it is correct. And then there are—and then there is—there are, of course, uh, what I would call the scientific people that are courageous enough to stand up and say, nah, they're not telling you the whole story, and some of them are not like, let's say, anti-vaxxers or whatever, but they're just saying, no, they're not telling you the whole truth, and the truth is this, this, and this, and this, and there's been a lot of that, and those mm-hmm. people have paid, in many cases, a high price, and some of those have been world-renowned pathologists and virologists, and who, you know, before would you know when they spoke? Everybody would listen, and now they've been deplatformed and vilified and everything else, which is what I disagree with. Because our government has become intolerant, and free speech is kind of a fantasy now. Because if you're not willing to, uh, you know, enforce the party line, you get silenced in some manner, or ridiculed in some manner, or or you get slandered, and uh, uh, in a sense, you lose your credibility. Um, And then, of course, there are those that are on far the other side who just uh, are in rebellion against anything that uh, anyone's saying because they just don't want anybody to tell them what to do. And they're not thinking either. They're not thinking it through. I, I have trouble with people who just listen to government mandates and don't look at the science and the people on the other side who just rebel against everything the government says and don't look at the science. But there are some people in the middle that look at the science, and they and those people don't always come to the same conclusion because there's some ambivalence there, but there is some pretty uh, predominant things. But here's the key. As believers, we're not going to come to the same conclusions. We have in a church our size, it's inevitable. Uh, I have very close friends in the medical community that are death on vaccines and saying there's this is not scientific at all. And then I've got others who just as committed and godly people who are, you know, they're coming to me going, tell everybody to get vaccinated, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they, they see it the other way. And I get to and, and I notice as I listen to these people, it's the difference between those who are kind of within a system and feel allegiance to that system and those who are kind of more independent thinking and willing to just go looking for information. And uh, But the point is I have to accept both of those people and love them. Mm -hmm. And I had to make it clear that I'm not going to tell people uh, they should or shouldn't. I'm going to tell my people to inform themselves, and there is information out there. And if you're only listening to one side of the story, you're not thinking. Uh, if you're, If you're getting it all from, you know the, the, the government talking points, or you're getting it all from just the, the people ranting and raving against the government, or you're, you, know, or you're, you know, you're not listening. You need to go talk listen to the science, and there's science on one side, and there's science on the other listen to it and draw your conclusion be an informed person right
0: yeah. well the problem that I have right now is most people don't seem to understand that totalitarianism doesn't come just from the government
1: mm-hmm.
0: it requires the the media to be yes. a partner and it requires people to be the partner
1: yeah so they have to submit the,
0: in 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 World War II Germany the Nazis requ- they relied on people pressure their neighbors to do things right. So the totalitarian state is needs people to go out and pressure people to do things against their will. That's part of my problem with this argument is it doesn't follow what we talked about today in Romans or 1 Corinthians, either one. Uh-huh. It takes away your right to discern what is right for you by your relationship with God.
1: Yeah, and there are those who would, you know, try to take us to Romans thirteen and say, "Well, you should always obey government." But the truth is, especially here in America, if we're talking to Americans, we need to remember that that the people are king. Right. Uh, we have a a we have a representative form of government, which uses a dem- democratic system to enforce a constitutional republic. We're not a democracy. No. Um, big difference, and. And the the people were made king and that and the representative system is so the people can enforce their will through the representatives by electing them and uh, and then the elected a uh, uh, officials are supposed to enforce the Constitution and apply it to current situations and issues but according to the principles of the Constitution uh, but we are therefore, Every little regulation or uh, mandate that comes down from a government agency isn't necessarily a law. Uh, sometimes there can be a lot of uh, uh, consequences for not, you know, complying. But the truth is it's not law in the same way that something that is rooted in our uh, Constitution and rooted in our judicial Uh, Law. Mm -hmm. A good Uh. example of how that's
2: being abused is when Congress could not pass uh, a law saying that people couldn't get evicted during this pandemic period. uh, Biden turned to the CDC and said, well, you mandate it. Mm -hmm. And then the Supreme Court then said you had no right to do that. Right. Um, (laughs) and, and, and 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 knocked it down. Right. You know, and so, you know, you can see that there is a difference between what somebody who was elected as a representative may want and try to do and what is actual law.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and that's a clear, that's a good example, Grant. And, And we as the people sometimes have to be willing in this nation, part of our constitutional system says that as the people as king have a right to dissent. And uh, they're to do it peaceably and reasonably, but they are to dissent. And there are times we don't comply just because somebody uh, that's, you know, got a government title tells us we have to do something.
0: Well, we've changed the language, too, because we no longer talk to these people as being our representatives. We talk to them as being authority. Uh uh No, no, that's a representative. That's not an authority.
1: Yeah, yeah. We are the authority, right. and they should listen to us. yeah and yeah, and the Constitution is the authority because that has been what has been validated by the king or the people uh, of the nation. but uh, that's uh, no longer in vogue. The Constitution right. is now uh, suggestions that are mostly ignored instead of uh, laws that are, and principles that should be followed.
0: yeah well, in our current government, it's a disputable thing.
1: yeah. Very much so.
0: So I'm looking at principle six in a lot of what we were talking about with this current event and all the things surrounding it. We could likely solve all of this if we just look to Christ and uh-huh. his example.
1: Yes. And and there again, we can go back to the fact that he was willing to be a servant and he was willing to suffer for what was right. and But he was also unwilling to conform uh, just because uh, people who were in charge of the Israeli government said he had to do something, uh, he instead said no. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they didn't want him to heal on the Sabbath, and he said no. And he quoted uh, in, in good scriptural principle to validate that it was right to heal on the Sabbath. But they, they continued to—you know, they basically—one cruci- of the reasons they crucified him was because he was doing these things on the Sabbath— uh, they hated him for it because he—and uh, so, you know, Jesus is the model. And he was willing to not comply where he felt there was a real valid and important issue and that these authorities did not have the right to try to do what they were doing. The apostles followed suit on that when they're standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says to them, you are not to teach any or preach anymore in this name. And they said, well, you judge for, for yourselves. Let's ask you to make a judgment here. Uh, should we obey God or, or men? And uh, clearly we've been told by God to do this, and clearly God is validating it by the miracles we're doing. So what would be your verdict? Should we obey God or men? Well, they knew the answer to that. <laughs> and, and so the apostles basically said, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And they got literally, and the next time they were arrested, they all got beaten for it. Right. And they left not organizing a down with the Sanhedrin rally, they left rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of na- the name of Christ. In other words, they followed Christ's example. He suffered and he was willing to do so in a way that would be redemptive and constructive.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great example for exactly what we've been talking about and being able to stand for that conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am curious about One of the things we talked about is Satan being able to take and change things and twist them. And he's done that so much with benevolence. Right. People are truly trying to be benevolent and help their neighbors with their arguments in this current pandemic and these issues we've been talking about. But I wonder, rather than trying to stand on this benevolent thought and, and lift people up to our level, we should be like Christ and stoop down to where they're at and try to understand from their point of view where they're coming from and accept that.
1: Well, I think we should at least begin by listening, if that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't mean that we have to just accept their point of view on everything. Uh, So, for example, let's just take a current issue. Should you wear a mask or not wear a mask? Some people turn this into a an issue of whether or not you love your brother or your sister Mm. and so if a person let's say is one who thinks you should wear masks they're saying if you don't wear masks you're not being loving toward your brother and sister because you're endangering them and of course the other person will come back and say well if you feel that way once you wear the mask and you're protected don't worry about it if you think it actually protects and then of course they'll start quote you know uh, but what they don't realize there's another side to the issue there are those for example, I have a doctor friend who right after the mask mandate came out he, he I came he and I were talking and he said he looked at me he said he said this is he said I see mask is ridiculous and I said why he said, well first of all he said it, it's um Viruses are so small, mass does nothing. He said it's like a chain leak fence to a mosquito, not mm. going to keep it out. Right. He said it does zilch nothing. But he says, here's what concerns me. He said, what concerns me is that the more dangerous thing than the virus is that you get prone to pneumonia. And he said, if you are wearing a mask, you're concentrating the bacteria in that mask and breathing through it constantly. He said, you're increasing your chance for pneumonia by a factor of five. He said, that will kill more people than the flu of any kind. And so here was a man on the other side of it saying, I think I am protecting myself and other people by not wearing the mask. So we have to just respect the fact that we come to different conclusions and I, I I tend to kind of agree with the science because I've checked it out and it turns out that that's that's true. A mask doesn't do anything to stop a virus. Now it does have benefit if somebody is coughing and sneezing, but then they should stay at home if they're doing that anyway. Which is
0: where we started with the mask, right? right. The particulate droplets, right? right? Exactly. And and you know what? From a if you're going to go out in public and you're sneezing and. You have a runny nose and you're spraying all over the place, I'm all for you wearing a mask. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And that it would be beneficial there to keep you from, of course, spreading it by, you know, particles landing on other people. But it's not going to stop the virus. Mm, Uh, Right. You know, the the virus doesn't even see that mask. So
2: So it seems to me that what we've been talking about and how you've described what the biblical approach is for uh, disputable matters is that. You know, we're to come. Let us reason together. We're to, um, abide by our own conscience. Talk with God. Make sure that what we decide to do is aligns with how he has, what mm-hmm. he has put in us, um, to believe, and it that includes learning about you know about what it is that you know we may have an issue with, and some people may line you know align on different sides of an issue, mm-hmm. um, and so the same thing, it, it's a liberty. Right. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a freedom of choice that he's given us. Um, and he's trying to empower us to choose according to his will. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody aligns on the same thing. Not everybody's on the same thing, you know, um, the same place in their life, right. Or right. in their faith. And so the, the mask man, you know, and, and the vaccines and everything that's going on with that, it's, to me, it's the, it's a similar thing. the, what happened in America in the beginning was the whole point was that we would have a liberty to follow our conscience mm-hmm. and, and and our spiritual faith yeah. and to me we're that that's what I exercise now when it comes to my choices on the pandemic mm-hmm. and 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 those things, yeah. but they're trying to take
1: away our ability to choose yeah. Yeah, within boundaries, we're supposed to have a sovereignty over our person, within boundaries, obviously. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But those boundaries were quite broad, <laughs> you know. But now they're trying to narrow those boundaries down to where they almost uh, regulate and tell you exactly what you can or can't do in every little detail of your life. And that's that's not the business of government and of course they are using now a pandemic which is a perfect way to say, oh, but we have to protect everybody. Right. But then uh, but then many of our doc my doctor friends and scientist friends say the things they're doing aren't protecting anybody, you know. So there's questions there and then there's others saying, No, I think they are. I think it's being effective. So we have to realize that in the church, regardless of what government attitude is, we just can't drag that into the church. We have to have a culture of our own, which mm. is biblical. And we have to say, and that's why here at all the services at New Hope on Sunday, you will see, you know, people going into either the main worship center or into the other uh, you know, family life worship center where there's other services going. You'll see people wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You'll see people not wearing masks. You and people and 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 we we don't say one thing to them one way or the other. The point is, if you think that if you're more comfortable with that mask or you think that's necessary or valid for you, then that's fine. And we're not going to ridicule you or anything. And uh, there are others who, would, well, I'm, I think that's ridiculous. They wouldn't do it. But we, I, you've heard me say from the pulpit the last couple of weeks, we don't. Judge each other on these issues, but right. we give each other freedom, and because these are freedom issues, and I was I was laughing because someone said to me, "But what if they make the wrong decision and it leads to their death?" And I said, "Well, you're just going to have to settle it that we're all going to die of something." So <laughs> the point is, if they're making the best decision they know to make, then let's pray that God will be merciful to them. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well that I, that brought
0: you brought up right to the the uh, last principle, and that's respecting the body of Christ. Yes, and and so not tearing your church apart over one of these issues.
1: Well, that takes you to First Corinthians three thirteen and I mean First uh, Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen, where Paul basically says, you know, don't you know? And the the word you here in the Greek is plural, so don't you don't all of you know that you are the temple of the living God and that God's Spirit lives in you. God's temple is sacred. Mm -hmm. And if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy them. Wow. That is a scary verse of Scripture. It's also very profoundly beautiful. We are the temple. We are the Eden of God. We are the kingdom of God. And the Spirit of God lives in us. The glory, the Shekinah of God has gone into the believers as the church. And therefore, it is sacred. And you don't Dare destroy it, or God will destroy you, because it is a sacred precinct. And so many people have forgotten that, and they come into the church and they start uh, making these issues more important than our our unity in Christ and the gospel that is the paramount, and the love that should be paramount, and the truth that mm-hmm. uh, that that's the truths that are not in question. That should be paramount. And instead, they divide their church and create all kinds of friction over these things. And they destroy the temple. And I believe uh, God will keep his word. He will bring judgment Mm. on that.
0: Yeah, there's a great danger today to bring the world into the church and not the church into the world.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, we are in the world and not of it, but the church should be penetrating the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, which are the realms of death. And the world is lives in the realms of death, mm-hmm. though separated from God. That's what death means, to be severed from the source of life. And he said, "In the gates of Hades, and he's standing at the foot of Mount Hermon, which was considered the gates of Hades in that day. And he literally says, the gates of Hades will not be able to withstand it. So it's the church that's on the offensive We're the ones penetrating the darkness with the gospel light and going to people and saying, hey, you don't have to live in the concentration camps of the devil. You can come to life. And so the church needs to be on the march into the world. And unfortunately, the world's been too much on the march into the church.
0: Well, let's make it so. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for coming and talking to us today about Disputable Things. It's been a great conversation, and we really appreciate you coming by and talking to us.
1: Well, it's a lot of fun, J.D., and uh, I appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing with this uh, podcast. So
0: today we've been ta- uh, on A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, we've been talking with Pastor Gary Durham about Disputable Things. Um, let us know what you thought. today, And please take a moment and subscribe to our podcast— and don't forget to visit our website, our vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend the podcast to your friends and family. And again, thank you for listening and have a blessed day.